God is good, and I believe he's been speaking all service long already. So we're going to continue our time of worship by turning to the book of Acts, chapter 16. And we're going to look at verses 22 through 30. Acts chapter 16, verses 22 through 30. As you find that, Lord, help us as we study. Speak, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Acts 16, verses 22 through 30. I would love for you to read with me. The NIV is on the screen, but if you prefer King James or any other version in your hands, read it loud. Uh, we're going to read it all together, starting with verse 22, which says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? A few weeks ago, we had one of our leaders in a, a, a leaders meeting share out of this text, and he had no idea weeks later I had it kind of projected to teach from this text. And after he finished, I thought, man... <laughs> Uh, Chris Kidd, by the way, if you're here this morning, he unpacked a word for us that night and almost made me shift gears. But I thought, well, Lord, it's amazing how we can come to the scriptures and, and you'll speak through different vessels in ways that complement one another, that help bring wholeness. Uh, and, and that wholeness continues to increase. I love the word about portion, Kate. It just, it increases as through the lens of Jesus Christ we look at his word. So we're going to take another sort of way into this word here today, if you happen to hear Chris on that day, entitled this message, Propelled by the Love of God. Propelled by the Love of God. We've been in a series all month entitled Victory. <clears throat> and this will close out the series. Though how many know we don't close out living in victory in Jesus Christ ever? Uh, we just, in our structural arrangements, shift from topic to topic each month. Um, a few years ago, I think it was a few years ago now, my family and I were in Orlando. We're part of the larger organization called Every Nation, and we were down there for a leadership conference, and we took the whole family, flew all the kids, because they would have kid ministry for all of them, um, in addition to the sessions they'd have for us, pastors and pastors' spouses, Great, great time. And when we came back, uh, we had some friends who knew that we had gone to Orlando for this conference, but they were also expecting some more conversation about Orlando, like how was Disney? And I had to gather myself because we didn't go to Disney when we were there. And so these friends would say, well, how do you go to Orlando with three children and not even make an appearance in Disney, did you not have time? And I said, well, it was busy. We went from session to session. And when we had time, we were at the pool outside of this really nice hotel with the kids. And they loved it. I said, we did, though, take the Uber off of the premises for a little bit. They said, great. Where'd you go? 
I said, Target. <laughs> so you went to Orlando, you flew, all the kids, and you went to Target. I said, you, you, I said, let me, let me, let me explain. Like, like Fluttershy and Pinkie Pie and Rarity and Rainbow Dash, the love that they have for my children and my children for them, if you understood that, you'd understand why we went to Target. Some of y'all not on the My Little Pony train. That's My Little Pony. All the little characters, those are a few of them. And the love that exists between our kids and them led us to Target. There was one moment that I think I have to blame me for where we took the Uber uh, somewhere else to Disney Springs. But when we went there, it was almost like we knew. We knew Target was where we were going to end up. And sure enough, we get off at Disney Springs. We get out. We walk 20 yards. We see the restaurants. We see all the things. And the kids were like, ah. <laughs> so we said, ah. We walked back, got back in the Uber with the car seat and all, and went to Target. And the truth is, for all of us, sometimes there can be distractions like Disney Springs was for us. We knew we were going to be at Target. We knew we were going to be propelled, if you will, by the love that our children have for these little dolls to be in Orlando and still end up at a Target. And yet, for you and I, in, in a very real sense, can be distracted what might be some good, maybe even the popular prospects in life. Who goes to Orlando and doesn't do Disney? Who lives this life and doesn't try this? Who lives this life and doesn't do this? There are some what seem to be viable options to propel us, to push us forward, to determine, if you will, our path forward in life. And yet, those of us who are followers of the way, students of God, disciples of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, are called to be propelled by the victory we have in him, propelled by his love. The greatest demonstration of which over 2,000 years ago is enough if he does nothing else. And so the question I hope we can address today in the next few moments is, what does it look like to be propelled by his love in the midst of painful situations? What does it look like to live from his victory in the midst of hardship? I want to highlight three things that I believe our text suggests among many. One is wisdom to collaborate. Two, audacity to praise. And three, Humility to remember, wisdom to collaborate, the audacity to praise, and humility to remember. In this text, we see pretty much what it's like to be propelled by the love of God, and that when we do so, we can then see the stage set for others, too, to have the privilege, the opportunity to also be propelled by the love of God. In this text, Paul now is on the second missionary journey where he and Silas uh, had just pretty much cast a, a demon out of this lady um, who was uh, a fortune teller, making some money for their owner, saying some things. And that kind of what leads up to verse 22, where we started at today. This woman, influenced by this spirit, was making her owners a lot of money, a lot of money. But there were some ulterior motives. And so Paul and Silas essentially got tired and said, okay, enough. <laughs> In Jesus' name, come on out. And when he did, there were folks, as you might imagine, who were making a ton of money off of this woman who were not happy. So they said, okay, Paul, Silas, you want to take our money? You want to mess with our money? We're going to take you into the, uh, the crowd, into this general space where justice is often administered. 
We're going to rally the crowds against you and get them to be against you all the same. In which Paul and Silas never deterred from the truth. Small parenthetical, how much of us or how many of us rather are willing to say the truth regardless of the consequences? They knew they were going to face some digging into the money of this particular community. But what they did know, they weren't reckless about it. They knew who was with them and the mission that they were on. And that fear in this case was not going to win. So they're dragged into the marketplace by the owners to face the authorities. They are making these loud claims against Paul and Silas saying, you're disrupting our community. And finally, the authorities, as we've read, ordered them to be stripped, beaten with rods, flogged. And the jailer was ordered to ard them carefully, which in his mind, he translated into putting their feet into stocks, into the inner prison, as it were, which you can think of as a dungeon or in our term, solitary confinement. They were in a painful situation. And yet they weren't propelled by anger. They weren't propelled by bitterness. They weren't propelled by resentment, revenge. I imagine they had some options at their disposal. After all, they just cast the spirit out of this lady. They had some options they probably could have called on, like, well, Jesus, if you decide to, with a lightning bolt, strike these folks. I know none of us ever think that way, right? <laughs> Lord, I'm just saying, if it's your will. <laughs> Just let them take a short walk off a, a long walk off a short pier, right? Just, if that's your will, we don't do that. Paul and Silas had some options. They literally just cast this evil spirit, but yet that wasn't their response. Rather, propelled by the love of God, their behavior through this ordeal reminds us of someone else that we know who was guilty only of honoring the Father. Somebody else who could have changed his situation, could he have not? And yet he chose to endure, endure pain, flogging even for you and for me. The most painful death anyone could ever suffer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ hung on a cross when he could have done differently. Why? Because he was propelled by the love that he had for you and for me. He lived the life we should have lived. Incarnate in the flesh, died a death we should have died taking our sins with it, and rose again on the third day, proving that he is the son of God. So Paul and Silas are saying, we're propelled by that love. And being propelled by the love of God has everything to do with our understanding that victory has nothing to do with our earthly predicament. Thank God he gives us a glimpse every now and then. Okay, I got that promotion. Okay, I got this. I got, but yeah has everything to do with our understanding that it's not there. It's the victory already secured for us over 2,000 years ago that he says, even when you're in the midst of some stuff that doesn't make sense, makes you angry, makes you a little frustrated, your victory is not based in that. And there's a praise you can have on the inside of you because I'm beyond that heavenly perspective on an earthly condition. So here, Paul and Silas, they allow for this beat down to take place. Notice I say allow. And now they're in this prison, this solitary confinement, no less, with their legs strapped to irons. I have absolutely no idea what you all go through, but if you're living life, I can safely say you're going through something or have been through something or probably will go through something. And even if I did, I wouldn't pretend to understand. I have no idea what it's like to walk in your shoes. But what I do know is that through Christ and because of Christ, the one who conquered death in the grave, that we too can be propelled by the love of God, particularly in uncomfortable, painful, frustrating situations. 
Paul and Silas, no doubt, were facing some hardship. However, recognizing God's love for them where they were, verse 25 says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So the first thing I want to talk about is when we are propelled by the love of God, we demonstrate wisdom to collaborate. The more that we can understand the height, the depth, the love, the breadth of God's love for us, the more we're committed to being propelled by his love toward community with others. Who are your teammates? Who are you walking alongside? Who can hold you accountable? With whom are you vulnerable? Who do you let call you out? Tell you about your stuff and you listen versus stiff arm. Ephesians 4 and 16 says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We, in fact, need one another. So there's wisdom in joining a victory group. (gasps) There's wisdom in living life in community. By the way, this is a parenthetical for another day. The Bible says nothing about small groups. Okay, every church has their own way through which they experience community. And here we've decided victory groups will be a way. Community is the essence, right? Who are you walking alongside? What does that look like for you? Because we know when you're alone, enemy can have his way. It's more than a routine, more than a fun social group exercise throughout the week. No, it's life in the spirit. Wisdom, when we're propelled by the love of God, we have then to collaborate. So college students, when you get that not so good grade on the exam or that professor who you thought should have been there and and wasn't, or they treated you the wrong way, or maybe you lost a job, or that retirement check wasn't what you thought it was going to be, or promotion and tenure didn't come like you thought it was going to come. Whatever that might be, you have someone or some persons alongside whom you can call, and they'll say, you know what? Victory's already yours, man. Sis, it's already there. And we can pray with, for you, through this circumstance, because victory isn't predicated on it to begin with. It says Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas prayed and sang hymns. They were living out their love for Jesus and people together in community. Now, the Bible doesn't say what the conversation was like between Paul and Silas, so we don't know. But I can tell you some 10 years ago when I was in bed laying next to my beautiful bride, Taylor, and I looked over to her. I was experiencing some crazy symptoms. The doctors couldn't necessarily figure it out. They were trying this medicine or that medicine. And I know our conversation was something like, I can't take this anymore. I love Jesus and this sucks. <laughs> can't take it. And I don't know why it's happening. And my beautiful bride, propelled by the love of God, said, let's pray. Because God is greater. I called my buddies from college with whom I still talk just this past week. In fact, we had an hour on the phone where we ask each other the hard questions and then we pray with and for each other. And they did the same. Bruh, let's pray. And so while I couldn't keep the metaphorical bird, this is the theologian Martin Luther's, I'm paraphrasing one of his quotes, I couldn't keep the bird from flying over my head in terms of the fleeting thoughts that were coming that would say it's hopeless And maybe you can't too. What we could do through the power of the Holy Spirit in community with others who can remind us of his goodness, we can keep that bird, if you will, from making a nest in our hair. Don't know what that is for you, but through Jesus and the tools he's given us in community, the bird will fly, but it doesn't have to stay. His love is greater than any weapon that's formed against us. And so I wonder if Paul and Silas might have had a bird fly over their head while in the midst of their situation. And yet they decided together that even in their painful state, they would be propelled by the love of God to lift up the name of Jesus. And I hope that encourages you as much as it encourages me 
Because in the midst of our difficult situation, there's still a smile we can have. And not a smile that is indicative of a denial of what's going on, but rather our smile reflects a heavenly perspective on our earthly predicament. Thank God for Jesus. We can still praise because he has never and never will relinquish his place on the throne. He knows our affliction. He knows what we're going through. He's given us folks with whom we can walk this life to encourage us, to keep honoring God through it all, trusting him. He's already fought and won the battle as somebody prayed this morning in our discipleship meeting. It's rigged. The fight is fixed. We're more than conquerors through him, Romans 8 and 37. Wisdom to collaborate. Secondly, when we're propelled by the love of God, we have the audacity to praise. The audacity to praise. Paul and Silas, here they are, beaten, they're flogged, shackled in the inner prison. And yet about midnight, when things probably appeared a bit more bleak, when things, when the pain often gets the worst, when the thoughts often that race get the worst, at midnight, when other folks were probably asleep and there was some risk in them making some noise, it was then that they decided to give God some praise. And I want to suggest to you, they weren't just whispering to one another. I'm just saying, I know we do a lot of prompting here and it's not all about just ritual and tradition. I believe they're not just whispering because where were they? In the inner prison, the dungeon, solitary confinement. And yet scripture says what in verse 25, the latter part of which the prisoners were listening to them. Which to me says they had to have been making some noise. There was a little bit of noise coming out of their mouths, off of their lives, if you will. Small parenthetical. Don't, it doesn't mean you go into your job screaming tomorrow <laughs> or into school, wherever you're at. Preacher said, I need to be loud with mine. No, that would be weird. <laughs> but we can live a loud life of praise, right? Without fear. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help me to live a loud life. They were loud. And what some might have considered a risk, they are in jail. You're making noise, you're waking. We're going to see you in the yard tomorrow. There could have been some risk for altercation in making the noise that they were making. And yet they considered this rather an opportunity. They recognized that their praise wasn't just about them. Yes, he's won our victory last week. We talked about overcoming with the privilege of his power, but it wasn't just about them. They recognized their praise. My praise is for my grandkids that aren't here yet. My praise is for the neighbors that, that, that don't want to know anything about Jesus yet. Our collective praise is for a community looking for something to rest their hat on because everything that they do thus far looks like building on sand. Our praise, Victory Church, isn't just about us. Their victory wasn't just about them. And the truth is, just like Paul and Silas, others are listening to our lives. They're watching. What's the aroma coming off? How in the world? I know you're in the midnight <laughs> right now. Why are you praising again? Why are you still coming in here smiling? Help me understand that. I'd be happy to because my victory never rested with this to begin with. Paul and Silas had a praise on their lips in the midnight hour. And if we too can have the audacity to praise God with some volume in the midnight hour of our situations, understanding that we can do so in him and through him, I believe we can have our own verse 26 right here in Charlottesville. What would that look like? Verse 26 says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. 
We can go down some paths there. We won't. But the foundation, some things need to be broken up in our sphere of influence, the city of Charlottesville. Some things need to be shaken. And what if your praise was the partnership God was looking for to help that happen? The praise coming off of your life. The foundations of that prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. Everyone's chains came loose. How, too, can we see the chains of this community's predicaments broken when we are propelled by the love of God toward praise? Generational curses in our family, broken. Healness, healing of illnesses, broken. Instead of resentment, maybe there's forgiveness. All because we have the audacity to praise in the midst of difficult circumstances. Lastly, when we are propelled by the law, the love of God, we can also have the humility to remember. When propelled by the love of God, when, when we know that the victory, as we've referenced already, was ours before the results ever came out, that none, nothing about our victory has anything to do with us but what Jesus has already done, then we can know we, or we should know that we ought to be humble enough then to remember where we've come from. So that when you're in a position, as Paul and Silas were, as we hasten a bit to a conclusion, to, to exert some power over those who may have done you wrong when they had power, when you get in that position where you're like, I remember what you did. And now the table's a turn. When you get that, you can respond a little bit like Paul and Silas did in this text. We don't know a lot about the jailer, except that he was just following orders, right? We don't know what was contributing to, we can imagine, maybe he was trying to get in good with his superiors. Maybe there was some implicit bias. One of my colleagues and brothers talks a lot about that in the city of Charlottesville. Maybe there was some of that that was involved in how harsh he was being. I don't know. We don't know. We just know he was exerting a little bit of his power because he could by fastening Paul and Silas in stocks, putting them in the inner cell. And the truth is we might find some in our sphere of influence adding to the pain that we are already experiencing. They may not even know why. Implicit bias, other reasons, whatever. They may not know why, but all we know is they're adding to the pain. Maybe they are just following somebody else's commands. Maybe, Maybe they're just being used of the enemy to torture us, to teach us something. I don't know. But for whatever reason, they're adding to our pain. But the text suggests if this happens to be our situation, the love of God, the victory that we already have in him can propel us toward a proper response. And that that response can lead to their freedom too. Verse 27 says, the jailer woke up when he saw the prison doors open he drew his sword, was about to kill himself. Here they come. After what I did to them, I know they're going to step on my neck. He thought the prisoners had escaped. I imagine he figured, I'll make it easy on myself. But Paul says in verse 28, listen, don't harm yourselves. In other words, though you participated in my pain, I still don't want to see you harmed. How many know we can pray into that all day? Lord, help me. Which isn't saying, we don't have a whole lot of time for this parenthetical. It's not saying be a doormat. God's word said, be harmless as, the, as, harmless as 
wise as serpents, shrewd as snakes, another version said, and harmless as doves. It's not about being a doormat. How many know Jesus was not a doormat? It's not what we're saying. Homeboy, he turned over some tables. There's some things we get to do. (laughs) This is wrong. It ain't right. No, I'm not just going to sit here and listen to that. So don't hear that, okay? It's not what I'm saying. Contextual. (laughs) I don't want to see you harmed. Though you brought me pain, (sighs) Jesus loves you too. Help me, Lord. He loves you too. Paul, propelled by the love of God toward humility in that when the jailer came before Paul and Silas, trembling, I can imagine Paul taking a moment to think about where God had brought him from because the apostle Paul used to be, he used to be Saul, brother who persecuted the church, Acts 8 and 3, taking people out of their homes, having them killed. He was there witnessing Stephen stoning. In some ways, some people think he had a lot to do in terms of endorsing it, famous for it. Until God met him in a unique way on the road to Damascus, changed his life. And now he's saying, how might I now partner with you such that you can meet this person in a unique way? I got some uniqueness for him. I do, God. But how might I partner with you such that you can meet him? So transformation can truly happen. Paul, no doubt, realized God's love for him in that moment, had humility to remember where he had come from. And responded in a way that was propelled by the love of God. So, even if we see others about to experience pain, and maybe it's self-inflicted, maybe otherwise, maybe we have that role, like I said, where we can inflict some pain. How about instead of pulling up a chair with some popcorn, like at the Alamo, talking about this is about to be good. (laughs) Because you are about to get yours. So what you know you did, that was shady or whatever the case might be. And it's tempting. Instead of doing that, God, help us remember how your mercy and grace covered me. We don't have time for the testimonies to go around the room, but I imagine if we could, we can say, oh, yeah, there, oh, oh, man, there too. Mercy and grace cover me. Lord, help me. Help me be propelled by your love. Help me to grab their hands and say, even if you just dug that hole under me, even if you just shaped a narrative that doesn't represent who I am, whatever you have done that I see as being shady, God, you see them as a son or daughter in Jesus Christ, and I want to respond in a way that brings them freedom. Their pain can't add anything to the victory I already have. So being propelled by the love of God, particularly in painful situations, can grant us the awesome opportunity and joy of leading others to Christ as Paul and Silas did with this jailer. The jailer said in verse 27, what must I do to be saved? My prayer for all of us is that we're propelled by the love of God in a way that others want to know then who we are plugged into. As we close, I talked about Pinkie Pie uh, a little bit earlier. Um, and all of My Little Pony. And I referenced how we went to Disney Springs first, but that we ended up where we were going. In many ways, starting out with the prayer request, God, help us. Help us to see what looked like viable and common and popular options, and yet to recognize how if we're ambassadors for you, we ought to live, from whom we ought to be sent, how we ought to be propelled. Help us to be propelled from the love of Jesus Christ. And sometimes um, when we're propelled by things in life, they might even feel good. 
right? The resentment, the bitterness, the anger, the unforgiveness, the whatever revengeful behavior we might want to display. It might feel good, but how many know some of us who have lived a while and maybe had the testimony of having tried it can say the cost later in life is too much. And God is saying, listen, I know experience is the best teacher, (laughs) but I really think other people's experience is the greatest teacher. You don't have to go through that. You don't have to pay those costs. What I have for you is free. Let's commit today afresh to having wisdom to collaborate, the audacity to praise, and the humility to remember. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the word of God that even in the midst of painful situations, there's reason to praise you. Plenty of reasons to be humble enough to remember from where you brought us. And as you say, not just as a reactive mechanism, but very proactive and preventative mechanism, which is to have the wisdom to collaborate in this thing called life. Because we will go in and out and ebb and flow the ups and downs. And you say your yoke is easy. Our learning from you, Matthew 11 talks about how gentle and humble you are. Your yoke, walking alongside you. It's easy because you've paid the cost already for us and there's freedom and victory we can have in you. Help us to be propelled by that love, the love that no great, no man, no man has any greater love. Scripture says no greater love has man than this, than to lay down his life. You've done that. So victory is ours. But when things come alongside us, in front of us, that tempt to blind us from that, to mask it, to cover it up where we can't see it. Thank you for the brothers and sisters who walk alongside us. Thank you for the examples of Paul and Silas that say it's hurtful, but you're worthy of the praise. And thank you for giving us a faith file in which we can go and look through and say, I remember where you brought me from. And so I'm going to praise because of who you are, and I'm going to praise for what you want to do in the lives of those who might even be a part of bringing me this pain. If you're sitting here today and you have yet to even say yes to Jesus for the first time in wanting to be propelled by his love and life, if you've not accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and today you want to do that, we want to pray with and for you. Raise your hand really, really high so we can do that this morning. Those of us sitting here with eyes closed and heads bowed, if you are in the midst of what you'd consider to be a painful situation, but having difficulty finding those with whom you can be equally yoked to help you through it, and or help difficult find, difficulty finding the audacity to praise and difficulty finding the humility to remember, raise your hand, and we just want to pray with and for you. Great. We see those hands. Once they're up, you can put them down. Heavenly Father, you know where we are. You see us. You know us. You love us. I pray as Kate referenced Psalm 73, I think she was in verse 26, a couple of verses later, it says, your nearness is our good. I pray in this moment we would sense your nearness in such a way that your, the, the residue of the Holy Spirit would permeate to the degree that we can embody you in ways that are beyond us to connect with those who can sharpen us, to praise you in the midst of what is difficult and to remember where you brought us from and as such to extend the mercy and grace to those that we might not naturally do so. Help us today.
to take the next step of obedience by the power of your holy word and your Holy Spirit, not in and of ourselves, but through the victory you've won for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you.